Welcome to Abide in Liberty, a podcast empowering patriots everywhere to re-enthrone faith, family, and freedom as the bedrock pillars of liberty in education, our communities, and our nation. Hello, everyone. Happy Labor Day, and welcome back to Abide in Liberty. In today's podcast, I want to talk about a couple of stories from the news this week, the first being uh, President Trump's interview with Glenn Beck, and the second being an interview that Oliver Anthony had with Joe Rogan. And then I'm going to talk about what all that has to do with the theme that I was asked to address this week in a presentation to our local Republican club. This week, Glenn Beck had President Trump on for an interview, and they they covered a wide variety of topics. But the part that really was the most impactful to me and and the question that Glenn Beck asked that I was most interested in hearing the answer to was the question, since President Biden and his Department of Justice are, are legally persecuting you, are coming after you in an attempt to take out a political rival, will you retaliate and lock President Biden up if you are victorious in the upcoming election. So let's listen to to that interchange and what President Trump's response was. You said in in 2016, you know, uh, lock her up. And then when you became president, you said, we don't do that in America. That's just not the right thing to do. That's what they're doing. Do you regret not locking her up? And if you're president again, will you lock people up? Well, I'll give you an example uh, the answer is you have no choice because they're doing it to us. I always had such great respect for the office of the president, the presidency, and uh, but the office of the president. And I never hit Biden as hard as I could have. And then I heard he was trying to indict me, and it was him that was doing it. Now, those who have been listening to this podcast for a while will understand that uh, that I would probably find that response incredibly troubling. The idea that because someone has done something to you, you are honor bound or, or there's no option left to you except to respond in kind is, is completely preposterous. First of all, if our founding fathers had followed that same logic that we're somehow required to simply follow what has always been done, that we're simply required to retaliate in kind, our country wouldn't exist in the first place. The French Revolution took that approach, the the retaliate, the vengeance approach, and that led to what history has called the reign of terror. This was a terrible time. It was a terrible idea, and it did not make the people, either those who were persecuted or those who were the ones persecuting, any happier or any freer. Thomas Jefferson didn't retaliate in kind during the very first... um, couple decades of our country's history, after the war had been won, after the Constitution had been ratified, we have President George Washington, and then after he stepped down, President John Adams. And during that whole period, when when their party, the, the Federalist Party that George Washington and John Adams belonged to, when that party was in power, they passed a law that was called the Alien and Sedition Acts, and it basically prohibited people from criticizing the government and particularly those at the highest levels of government, trying to keep the president in particular untouchable, as well as the the congressmen and the senators that supported them. Now, on the flip side of that, on the losing end 
of that law were the Anti-Federalists, of which Thomas Jefferson and James Madison were particularly prominent. This was their party. And when the Federalists lost power, an Anti-Federalist Thomas Jefferson took to the White House, thank goodness that he didn't take the attitude that President Trump is vocalizing right now and, and retaliate by putting John Adams or George Washington into jail, that would have been the end of the American experiment as we knew it. But cooler heads prevailed. He, they struck down the Alien and Sedition Acts, which allowed his critics to criticize him, which allowed Thomas Jefferson's critics to criticize him. So he could have easily said, well, John Adams started it, and now I guess I have to finish it. We just have, we're, we're now stuck in this this position where whatever party is in power gets to persecute the other. And what that leads to is inevitably one of those parties wins and we end up with Russia, which is a republic only in name and ridiculous elections where Putin somehow wins by like, what, 90 something percent? That doesn't happen in a real republic and in real democratic processes. But when your opposition mysteriously finds itself tossed off of the roofs of buildings and poisoned and mysteriously disappearing, it's a little bit easier to hold on to power. And had Thomas Jefferson retaliated in kind and tried to silence and jail his political opponents, as had as the, op, the opposing party had tried to do to him and his, the American experiment would have been over before we knew it. And we find ourselves today at a similar crossroads. The path of vengeance the path of getting even, the path of you did it first, so now I'm going to do it back to you, is an option. And as I pointed out, it's not a good one, historically. This is what leads to banana republics. It's what leads to dictatorship. And it could be either one of these parties could end up victorious. And quite frankly, I don't want either of them to end up as supreme dictator. But there is an option where we elect somebody who, like Thomas Jefferson, like James Madison, like Christ, is willing to put their own feelings aside and do what is right for the country long term. And in no way, shape, or form is turning to vengeance and getting even the right answer. We're not in kindergarten anymore. We're not in, we're not in elementary school where if you color on my paper, I, I, the only thing that's fair is I get to color on yours. You know, I mentioned that I had the opportunity to go and give a presentation at the uh, local Republican club here. I was invited because of the role that I play in uh, Liberty Youth Academy, which is a nonprofit. And as a nonprofit, we don't uh, promote any particular political party or any particular candidate. However, any place that will allow us to go share a message of faith freedom and the importance of the family, in particular, getting all three of those things back into schools, I will go and and share that message anywhere and everywhere that I'm invited to do so. But during the course of this discussion, I brought up a similar uh, a similar statement that vengeance isn't the answer, that anger isn't the answer. And one of the gentlemen there, we'd had a good conversation beforehand. He's a great guy. But he mentioned that anger is actually a very motivating and a powerful influencer to get people off the couch and doing something. 
and that, in fact, he'd been angry about what he's been seeing happening in our country for the last 20 years, and it had been very effective at keeping him moving and keeping him active. And in response, you know, I I pointed out that, you know, anger can be motivating, but it typically has a a short shelf life. And that's when he brought up, well, it's kept me going for 20, (laughs) for 20 years. However, if we're going to save this republic, we have to be in a position where we can be persuasive and where we can respond in ways that will create lasting, permanent, positive change for the republic. And when anger dictates those decisions, that is not okay. If, if anger is what maybe gets us up off the couch, you know, maybe that's okay. Um, but it can't be what guides our decision-making. It can't be, you hurt my feelings, so now I'm going to hurt yours. That simply is not going to cut it. And when you look about movements and those in history who have made the greatest and the most lasting positive change or change in general, let's just, let's not even call it positive, but any kind of change, Christ stands out in a really big way. And he was bold. He turned society and the world on its head, but he did it in a way that was from a position of love and not anger. On the other hand, you have people like Hitler and Mussolini and others who tried to implement change, and many of them did implement it, at least for a short time. But none of those movements have lasted. They've not, they may have, you know, the the Nazi regime or um, communism may have succeeded in forcing people into following their precepts, but they did not convince and convert hearts and minds. So anger might be very motivating, but it doesn't tend to be very persuasive. And those who are are pushing Marxist philosophies and communist philosophies in this country are using anger to, to silence and shut up their opposition. Now, they may succeed in getting folks like you and I to just keep our mouths shut, because we don't want to deal with all the 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 yelling and, and all the other craziness that that they're using as tactics to get their way, but have they can have they persuaded us in our hearts and in our minds? No, that's not persuasive. So if we want to be persuasive, if we want to create a lasting movement, lasting positive change is not built on anger and hatred and vengeance. It simply isn't. And you would be hard-pressed to find any instance in history. I I actually defy you to try and find any instance in history where that has proven an effective foundation for peaceful society. It's not there. Now, I want to contrast this interview with President Trump with an interview that Oliver Anthony had on the Joe Rogan Show. So uh, if you've been living under a rock, but this is a guy who, until a couple weeks ago, Um, had a very small YouTube channel where he was singing heartfelt songs to a small community in a small channel of, I don't know, a couple dozen people. This was not a big name, but one of his uh, songs was discovered and through some conservative media outlets became um, the top charting song in America for quite a long time. He, in being interviewed, he kind of opened up. I mean, this was someone who nobody knew two or three weeks ago, and now everybody knows. And in that short amount of time, went from complete obscurity to interview on the Joe Rogan show. He shared a story, and I believe this took place about six months ago, where he 
had been struggling with alcohol abuse to kind of drown out his sorrows, uh, looking at the condition of the world and just feeling powerless to do anything to fix his situation. And he went to the hospital because he was having such a rough time. And afterwards, he was sitting in his car, he says. He he hit what he felt like was rock bottom. He couldn't go on. He couldn't do anything um, else on his own. And then and there, he had a moment with God where he agreed that if he could get help to get out of this, this hell that he was living in, that he would spend the rest of his life turning his will and his life over to God. And almost immediately, he felt something special that that kind of let him know that God really was there. And he, true to his word, has been working on that ever since. And it was then that he started writing songs that people cared about and and wrote this beautiful song um, that that echoes the hearts of millions of Americans today. And he's he's making an impact. And I love that you know, as he talks about, he's already been offered multi-million dollar record deals and he's turning them down because he does not feel like that that is the path that God has for him. You know, and the big question that everyone has been asking is why Why is this song resonating? Why is Oliver Anthony resonating with, with so many people? And I think it's it's because the answers we're looking for, there's something deep down inside us. We know somehow that the answer we're looking for is not in politics. It's not in a political party. It's not in the conservative movement or the Marxist movement. It's not in any of those labels that are are so commonly used to divide us. So why, why share these two examples? Well, as I look at our country, I feel like it's lost its soul. It is rotting from the inside out. The, the visual that comes to my mind is, you know, when we talk about you know, I do listen to a bunch of podcasters and, and different commentators, and so much of what I hear is talking about policy, right? What are we going to do with the border? Or there's this issue politically, or you've got this, you know, persecution going on over here, and we we're talking about how do we fix these issues? And I feel like we're we're in the hold of a of a ship, and there's leaks popping up, and we're just trying to plug our fingers in all these different holes to keep the ship from sinking, but what we're completely missing is the root cause and the, the, of why these holes are popping up in the first place. And that's because the wood itself is rotting. That's, that The economy is just a hole in the side of the boat. And we might plug that with the next election temporarily. And, and we, might, we might postpone the inevitable sinking of this ship. But if we don't fix the part of the ship that is rotten to the core, then eventually we're going to run out of fingers. Eventually we're going to run out of politicians that can do anything about it. And and the ship is going to crumble around us and we'll sink. You know, I can think of a lot of similar stories of students that we've worked with um, at Liberty Youth Academy who have had experiences similar to Oliver Anthony. Not that they were alcoholics or, you know, potheads or anything like that, but who come feeling beaten down, feeling like they're not good enough. Um, some of them even thinking that maybe life isn't worth living. And then they come spend a little bit of time in a place where they're learning about God, where they're being told that they are so valuable that the God of the universe knows their name 
and sent his only son to die for them so that they could get help in their darkest places. And then seeing the light come back on in these kids' eyes, I I like to look at Oliver Anthony's story and the story of so many of our students as a parable for what fixes our society as a whole. And what fixes our society as a whole is, is light. It's truth. When light always dispels darkness. If you walk into a dark room and you flip on the light, the darkness will recede every single time. It is a it is a scientific fact. It is a real principle that you can count on every single time, just like you can count on the sun coming up and dispelling the darkness around us. God is the source of the light that can do that for our souls individually and for the soul of our country collectively. But if God, the source of that light and truth, is booted out from our schools, is kicked out of our our courts, isn't allowed in the public sphere, isn't allowed as part of the conversation in our, our, um, our halls of government, if that light is turned off, and it has been effectively in so many aspects of our culture, then then how why are we surprised that we we're left with darkness and confusion and chaos and hatred and anger and vengeance? What what else would replace the light that we have intentionally snuffed out? Now some may argue, and I know that this is a common thought out there. That Christianity is all well and good, but it's time for action. It's time for decisive action. We need someone who's tough as nails to get in there, shake things up, stir up the hornet's nest, and be mean, quite frankly. And that that was kind of a lot of what gained Trump his popularity and got him a lot of momentum in the first place. We need a mean guy in there. And there are a lot of policies that he implemented that I do like. And it is true that we need someone with a tough skin in the Oval Office someone who will stand up for what's right no matter what. But God and Christ and faith in them is not pacifist, and it's not um, just let everyone roll over you. That is not what it means. Christ himself is the perfect example of this. He turned society on its head because he boldly and unapologetically taught truth and defended it to the last breath. And to see the difference between between the Christ-like way of doing things and the vengeance way of doing things, you have to look no further than compare the American Revolution with the French Revolution. So in short, we absolutely must stand up against evil behavior, evil practices, evil teachings, and evil trends, but we must never lose sight of the fact that those who are caught up and captured by that evil and maybe even promoting it themselves are still children of God. Their souls are still precious. So attack evil, but we still have to have charity for all. We still have to love our enemies and do good to those who hate us and who would despitefully use us and persecute us. Those two things are possible. And if we want to figure out how to balance those in our lives, it's time we crack open our scriptures. It's time we bring the Bible back into our schools so that we can teach ourselves first and then teach the rest of society how to make that happen because it is possible. And there's a great guidebook for how to do it. We just got to blow the dust off and immerse ourselves in it again. So as we've tried to do that in our family, um, this week during our family scripture study, we came across these four or five verses from 1 Corinthians 19. And I want you to think as I read this, 
how different our country would be if we were to implement just one of these things. This is Paul's uh, conversation with the Corinthians about charity. He says, charity suffereth long and is kind. Wow, we just implement that one. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up. If we were just humble and willing to accept God's help, how different would this country be? Doth not behave itself unseemly. So charity doesn't behave itself unseemly. Man, if if we all had charity in that way, and the unseemly behavior that is just dripping from our schools, from our streaming services, from our music and our movies and our TV shows and our public behavior, wow, how different. We just stop behaving unseemly. Charity seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth. Well, there goes Pride Month. We have a, we have a whole month dedicated to rejoicing in iniquity. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. But charity never faileth. So going back to that conversation I had with the gentleman at the Republican Club, anger will vanish away at some point. Maybe you've lasted for for 20 years, but anger never faileth is not a thing. Charity never faileth. And if we want lasting change, we have to be built on that. I feel like I've rambled on about this enough. This is a topic I've talked about many, many times, but this week it became so blatantly apparent as so many in our, in our country are rallying behind the idea that getting even with this legal persecution of conservatives is the right way to go. It's the only way to go. We have no choice. That is wrong. So what I hope you take away from all of this is that as you're considering who to vote for and who to elevate in leadership in your communities, in your states, and in the country as a whole, when you look at those candidates, can you honestly say that they're playing for Team God? Not Team Republican, not Team Democrat, not Team Conservative, not Team Liberal, not Team Right, not Team Left, but Team God. Are they playing for his team? Are they willing to put God's will into action over every other consideration? If you can look at them and then talk to your young sons and your young daughters and say, wow, if you could become like him, if you could become like her. There's somebody, there's a person that you can aspire to become like. If you can't say yes to any of those questions, then we need to find somebody else. Those people are out there and we desperately need them. Thank you for listening to Abide in Liberty. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes and share this with friends and family. In the meantime, Keep up with the show online at AbideInLiberty.com. Also, if you'd like to help our K-12 bless and educate more families, contact us by visiting LibertyYouthAcademy.org. Until next time, be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, and be strong.